Welcome to Uneducated, a podcast by Yafed, where we are speaking to yeshiva graduates, parents, policymakers, and other stakeholders about the lack of secular education in ultra-Orthodox and Hasidic yeshivas across New York. I am the executive director, Naftali Moster, and I thank you for tuning into this episode. Welcome to Yafed's Uneducated podcast. I'm Hannah Miller, Yafed's Director of Community Engagement and Organizing, and I'm honored to be speaking with today's guest, Dr. Shalom Klein. Dr. Shalom Klein is a well-regarded community activist, entrepreneur, author, and radio host of the popular Chicago show, Get Down to Business. And if that wasn't enough variety for you, he also serves as an officer in the U.S. Army Reserves, Military Police, and is the chairman of the Village of Skokie Economic Development Commission in Skokie, Illinois. Shalom holds a master's degree in Jewish professional studies with a concentration in nonprofit management and a doctorate in educational leadership. His doctoral dissertation, Ultra-Orthodox Jews in the Workforce, a Qualitative Study of Education, explores how cultural and religious factors can serve as impediments to education, which in turn can impact employment prospects and opportunities. I'm really looking forward to delving into this major piece of scholarship with the author himself. So Shalom, welcome to the Uneducated Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a pleasure to be with you, Hannah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. As you went through the uh, little introduction over there, I am still getting used to that whole idea of that title of the DR. Um, it's uh, it's still, I, I still think you're going to uh, be referring to uh, somebody down the street, but uh, it is definitely still fresh. Really, I think you were my last in-person meeting that I had before COVID really took hold. So it's exciting that you know we were meeting then about just discussing the early phases of this. So um, I'm excited to, to delve into it and to share it with our audience. So I'd love it if we could start just by having you briefly take me and our audience through your early personal and professional journey to help kind of lay the foundation for us. So if you're comfortable sharing something about you know, your background and even religious upbringing with our audience, I think that would be a great place to start. Absolutely. Uh, and again, thank you. And it's, it is funny. Um, we did meet for coffee in New York and uh, so much has changed since that time, but certainly not the importance of these issues of talking about uh, talking about education and really how education is such a means to uh, success in the professional world as a whole. I grew up in uh, Skokie, Illinois. Um, I was born and raised in what uh, I would call a, a pretty classic, just Orthodox home. Um, actually, I was born in one of the northwestern suburbs, and I went through a JCC uh, preschool, ended up going through a Litvish or Yeshivish um, uh uh, first couple of years of of grammar school, um, and uh, my family, like so many others, went shoal shopping, uh, trying to decide where to call home, um, and uh, ended up at the Chabad um, in Skokie, Illinois. And it was just the, the a comfortable place uh, to be. I always refer to it as somewhat parve, without having to make too many decisions of where to where to be in the future. And interestingly enough, um, I uh, uh, because of some of the challenges, frankly, bullying um, that I had in school as a result of going to Chabad um, Shul, 
um, my parents decided to transfer me into a Chabad school, and that's where I spent the uh, the bulk of my uh, of my education. Went through day school, um, uh, high school, and ultimately uh, yeshiva, um, all through the Chabad system. Um, but I will say, um, before we go any further, um, a lot of my experience came not through education, but really I credit my parents, both of whom were working full-time uh, and beyond. And they always prioritized um, reading, writing, math, and ensuring that even uh, despite any, what I would say, subpar education, um, that I would always uh, be comfortable in the world around me. And, and that was very important in what uh, would ultimately become the next steps in my uh, personal and professional journeys. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I think that really is helpful just for us to get more more context. And I'd love to just understand a little bit more about what your education going to Chabad Yeshivas looked like. Absolutely. So the for those that aren't familiar, uh, I know many of the uh, many of your guests on the podcast, as well as uh, many of the people that you've spoken with, are in the tri-state area. But um, for those that aren't familiar, it, the Chicago and I'd say even Midwest overall uh, Jewish community, it's, it it is certainly different. There are a much smaller number of schools. Um, it arranges the spectrum from modern Orthodox to. Uh, certainly very uh, Hasidish and uh, and ultra-Orthodox. The Chabad school that I went through is probably somewhere um, middle to to the right end of that spectrum. Um, I did go through, uh, I did have, I think it was two hours a day of secular education, um, but the majority of the day, starting from early morning until until pretty late in the day, um, was both, uh, you know, Talmud and, and um, Hasidic, uh, you know, studies, the Tanya and, and things like that. And that certainly was the priority for, um, for the school's, um, education, uh, system. I, uh, I, I have since, as I've matured and, um, and become a part of community leadership, what really has bothered me is in the schools that I've gone through, I've seen ads, um, that uh, sometimes when there's a position vacancy, when they're looking for a teacher, a math teacher, a, a whatever the teacher might be, they they always put experience preferred but not required, and that always bothered me so so much. It was almost like we've got to find somebody to fill the spot, um, and you know, certainly even the even the uh, the Hebrew teachers. Um, they didn't know anything about education, how to educate. They knew their their topics to some extent of whether it was, uh, you know, Jewish law or or any any topic. They they knew their topic, but it's very different to know your topic and to know how to teach the topic. And I I think that in in both the education uh, as well as the style of education. When I say subpar, that that's what I mean. I think I noticed it early on. Actually, I think I, I noticed this. I'm not kidding. At you know the age of third or fourth grade, and and I will say that this was something that we talked about um, in in the house, and and my my dad in particular recognized um, the the shortcomings, but it was always well, we have to make a compromise. If we want to get, if we want you to have the best religious experience, you, you've got to compromise. You know, public school was certainly never an option because 
oy vey, who would who would send their their kid to uh, to a public school? And even the more modern Orthodox schools, you're going to compromise in a different way. So in this case, the compromise was justified in terms of the quality of education because of the content of the education. And now later, obviously, I. I Certainly would not stand by that decision, um, but that was that was the system that I went through. And then I, it, transitioning into high school, and then if beyond, no English education at all, zero, zero at all, and it was just all day, all night, um, you know, learning Torah. What did life look like for you after you finished high school, especially you know with the lack of secular education that you received in high school, let alone before? How did those experiences, early experiences? in your own education impact your early experiences with employment or did they? After high school, I went um, to Israel, uh, to a yeshiva in Cholon, Israel, um, and continued continued my studies. And at that point, I planned on getting smicha, becoming a rabbi, and maybe even uh, going on shlichut and, 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 you know, ending up in some far-flung community somewhere. And that was, that was what, in my mind, that was going to be my journey and uh and steps um i so i went to israel and then came back went to yeshiva in detroit and then ended up in new york and that was that was a turning point for me because it was at that point that i realized that you know you don't need to be behind the pulpit in order to make an impact in community and so i i was actually hired by an organization in new york um to work for them and um i discovered that you can be a community leader without being a rabbi. And that was that aha moment for me, I guess, of, of that it is possible. And I worked, that was my first real job, even though I've always been doing some work for my dad. And that, like I said, always continued to engage me intellectually, professionally, and so on. Um, and that was very important in my life. But um, that was my first real job. I worked in New York for a couple of years. And then um, in 2009, I think it was January, I think it was New Year's uh, 2009, I moved back to Chicago and joined my dad in business. And that was really where my my career and journey took a turn. And I'm sure we'll talk some more about that. Did you feel that there were any insufficiencies that you could immediately identify when you were either um, working in business or when you were involved with the organization in New York that you were working for in the community. It bothered me how, how much uh, of many communities, um, especially in New York and the tri-state area, are just, they're welfare communities. And, and I wanted to be a part of sort of breaking that, um, that cycle of actually being able to contribute to the community rather than being the recipient of that community, and that 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 certainly was always a goal, and and I, I again, uh, it's part of that household that I was brought up in, um, of be on the giving end rather than being on the receiving end. Did you feel that your at least early on, say in your first years as a you know working adult, that your experiences were made that they majorly contrasted, let's say, with your peers? and our contemporaries and ultra-Orthodox communities that you were familiar with and that you'd been a part of? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I I think I, I, my philosophy in life is there's always something to learn from everybody around you. Um, and I 
continue to feel that way. I mean, there's so much, um, despite where I, I could be critical of, of some of the, call it education and some of the, uh, some of the, both my fellow students as well as certainly teachers, um, there's definitely always something to learn from them. And, uh, you know, like I said, to this day, I, I stay in touch with with some folks and they, they, you know, there's probably things that I've, I've done in my life and, you know, choices that I've made. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in my bio, you know, I'm, I'm serving in the, in the U S army. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, Oh yeah, I heard you're in the Israeli army. I heard you're in the IDF. And, you know, immediately I, I hear judgment from people of, wait, you're serving the United States army as an officer. And, um, you know, when I, when I've talked about, you know, continuing my education and, um, and ultimately, you know, ending up with a doctorate in particular, you know, my, my focus of study, um, ultra Orthodox Jews in the workforce, lots of judgment there, lots of judgment of people, you know, wanting, I'm proud, I'm proud of, you know, trying to shine a spotlight on, even if it, impacts just a couple of people and it already has and quite a few more than just a couple then it's all worth it and and i i'm i didn't do any of this to you know to rabble rouse in any way it's it's all about trying to make an impact and and you know it's conversations like this which help to you know raise the spotlight and and i know that you and Naftali and and you know the team at Yafet are, are doing the same thing it's about raising awareness really for the purposes of, of community betterment. And that's what it's all about. So, um, you know, had conversations, some uncomfortable conversations, including, including frankly, with, uh, with, with family, extended family and people that don't understand, you know, why, why not just accept it? Why not just say, even if you disagree, why not just say it's okay that that bottom line, you made your decisions, let others make theirs. And I don't think that that's not the way I was frankly raised i was i was raised to when you see something wrong you try to you try to fix it and and i see something wrong over here and i i want to fix it and and use the platform that i have in this case my you know doctoral studies to at least make some recommendations i'd love to delve into the dissertation a bit more cuz i know that our audience would love to hear about it and will be very interested in learning from you directly about your findings and really about your whole process. So I just, before we do that, I just wanted to ask you about what really led you to decide to focus your dissertation on that. Obviously, you have this whole background and clear demonstrated commitment to this issue and related issues, but what was the moment where you kind of, you know, realized this is the topic for my dissertation and this is how I'm going to do it and the time is now? What led to that? Yeah. Um, so after I started working um, with my with my father and again moved back to Chicago, I back in 2009, obviously in the midst of a tough recession, I saw many people that were out of work. Um, and in particular, again, living in Skokie, um, I saw people in the Jewish community that were out of work, people in the Orthodox community that were out of work, and uh, and small businesses that were struggling. So while I was working, I established a couple of nonprofits, um, namely Jewish B2B networking, Jewish business to business networking, which I basically made it my mission of create the resources, events, and programs to help people help themselves um, to to basically build a networking organization and platform, including education, um, that will help people brush up on their skills, um, you know, to fill the jobs that 
I identified actually were still open, even that during during that period of time. And so I got pretty involved in that over the course of about six years. We drew a little over 50,000 people to various events, programs, resources. It attracted a lot of political attention during the Obama years. I was at the White House many, many dozens of times involved in conversations about how to essentially conduct social innovation in faith-based communities. And and I caught the bug. I'd say I caught the bug of, of trying to make an impact uh, specifically around these issues of employment and uh, specifically in this community. And so um, back in 2011, I was recruited into a certificate program focusing on Jewish leadership at Northwestern University. Um, and I... It was fascinating and it totally eye-opening because it basically brought the lens of management and leadership, but specifically through a Jewish theological angle. And to be honest, Hannah, I, I never learned that way. I'd never learned about, you know, Mount Sinai and 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 Moshe Rabbeinu as sort of looking at it in a historical context and actually trying to learn leadership lessons and management lessons and and so on. And it's something that totally in the Orthodox world, you never have those conversations. You never look at things with that sort of viewpoint. It's all just let's learn Torah. And um and it, so that was very interesting. And then right after that, um Spurtis um, which is a uh, which is a uh, college and actually a museum in downtown Chicago. They they recruited me um, into their master's uh, program, master's in Jewish professional studies with a concentration in nonprofit management. I had an interesting conversation with them um, where I explained that I I didn't have a bachelor's degree, um, and because that just wasn't a priority for me, and totally shocking. They saw like, oh, Klein is involved in all this stuff in the community, and what he doesn't have a college degree. So either a long, long story short, they ended up awarding me uh, based on my various uh, certificates um, as well as. Um, real work experience. They awarded me a bachelor's equivalency and said, hey, now will you continue on for your master's, which I did. I finished in two years. Um, again, the just style of learning, a lot of theology and a lot of practice. Um, and that was game changing. And I once I finished that back in 2014, learned so much, even in about business. But to answer your question very specifically, um, what led to this specific area of study is in my master's, um, I had to uh, complete essentially a thesis. And what I did was I created a job training curriculum for ultra-Orthodox high schools um, in Chicago, in West Rogers Park, in the primary enclave of of, uh, of, of Chicago, the ultra-Orthodox community. And it actually was wildly successful. We implemented it at several schools um, and it ran for several years and it continues to have ripple effects. I still hear from the alumni. Basically what I came in is on a weekly basis, um, either myself or a, uh, a roster of guest speakers, guest lecturers that I lined up and created a curriculum for them. They came in and they talked about how to dress for success for a job interview. What jobs are, are sort of the hot commodities these days? Um, how to build a LinkedIn profile, how to follow up in conversations. And we built that, implemented it, ran it over the course of several years. I tracked it and, and documented everything. That was my master's thesis. And so when I was deciding what to write on for my dissertation for my doctorate, which is many hundreds of pages longer, um, ultimately, I decided to do a qualitative study of, ed of education focusing on ultra-Orthodox Jews in the workforce. Wow, that's a really fascinating evolution. I would love to hear a little bit more just about your experience working with the girls' high schools. Did you 
first approach girls and boys uh, educational institutions in the ultra-Orthodox community in that neighborhood? Or did it become clear quite early that, you know, the boys' schools weren't going to be open to it? Uh, all of the above. I reached out to everybody, and it's very funny. I I, I received a, a myriad of responses, including oh, we don't need this, Mr. Klein. We all we're, we already have this. You know, I, I laugh and smile and obviously very respectful, but I do give credit to the schools that did implement it. And uh, it, took, it took some rabbinic intervention um, of having, you know, some people sort of vouch for, I'm not trying to change anybody's hashkafa or philosophy. It's simply about, again, how do we, how do we create that community that I mentioned earlier that are not on welfare and that, you know, community where people are earning a, an honest livelihood rather than having to take a check. And isn't that something that we can all agree on? And so a couple of the schools did, it, did bring me in and, you know, I had to have meeting after meeting after meeting during the summers of, of showing them the curriculum and making sure that they understand that I wasn't going to brainwash anybody. And that was never my intention, never brainwashed anybody. Um, but again, now, you know, looking back uh, a couple of years later, um, and hearing from some of the alumnuses of the program and hearing how, yeah, yes, uh, you know, Shalom, you, 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 you really helped me find my first job. I interviewed because of, because of this. And I, I actually pursued this career path because of that speaker that you brought in. And you remember the day that you came into my school and you talked about blah, 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 all of those things, those are all, that, that makes it all worth it. Could you tell us a little bit more about your process, how many participants were included in your sample, and how did you go about finding them? What was the process like to even just do the research involved with the interview process? It feels good to, you know, coming from the place that I came um, to be able to, to really look into this. And I will say that these past few years, it's been a, a couple of years of lots of personal and professional, you know, turmoil, I'd say a lot of, a lot of stuff that has happened. Uh, again, I joined the army, uh, to serve, serve the country in the, in the midst of, of all of this. And, you know, I, I, you know, definitely that slowed down the process of research and writing. And I learned a lot about myself of, and learned a lot just in general uh that's that's the goal of a doctoral program ultimately and and so i think back to that you know that meeting that uh that we had um at a uh, coffee shop in uh, in manhattan and um that was early on in the interview process that was sort of just as i was getting the approval um very strict process so i, I will provide that as a disclaimer that nothing that i'm going to share uh in this podcast is you know going to uh is going to share any personal information about any anybody um but as you as you said hannah i did interview um ultra orthodox uh jewish males um and uh that was intentional um both people that at some point identified as ultra orthodox um and that was that was uh that was the uh, methodology and uh definitely uh had conversations with uh individuals that uh you know males uh between uh the age of uh, of of 20 and uh, and 40 essentially uh these were conducted uh via telephone or, or zoom and and all sorts of things like that so unfortunately i wasn't able to do it in person with with folks but i conducted a large survey um with uh where people were just able to respond open-ended and that helped um but then actually the interview conversations really were uh, a complete uh, game changer for me 
uh, to be able to really learn a lot about people's experiences and, you know, asked a couple of questions, which we can go through, uh, that, that, uh, sort of dived into their own experiences of being, you know, born and raised in an ultra Orthodox household and continuing in ultra Orthodox, uh, education. Maybe we can delve into the research questions and sort of your initial goals with that. Sure. Um, so ultimately, uh, the the goals were, you know, essentially discover how how and had a completely open minded um, attitude to uh, to this, but how uh, ultra orthodox Jewish uh, secondary uh, school graduates um, how their education helped or hindered them in their in their attainment of employable skills. That was that was the, the first question that we asked. Um, asked about any barriers that uh, ultra-Orthodox Jewish secondary school graduates faced in acquiring employment, um, or did they? You know, was it an advantage or a disadvantage? What are some of the strengths? And that was actually literally how it was phrased. What are the strengths that male ultra-Orthodox Jewish secondary school graduates bring with them to the job market? And what skills are they lacking? And how can, and this ties into the uh, sort of the areas of improvement of how can um, male ultra-Orthodox uh, Jewish secondary school graduates be better prepared to enter the job market. Those really was an open-ended exploration of learning uh, about participants' experiences and their perception. So in a nutshell, the findings of 50% of the participants in the interviews uh, indicated that uh, Haredi men educated in yeshivas were unlikely, period, unlikely to succeed in gaining competitive employment. And the most stated reason for that perception among the participants was the performance gap between themselves and other individuals in the workplace. Some of the things that I heard, the barriers were about language proficiency. They just didn't feel strong with their English language, lack of core education, cultural restrictions, discrimination, and having large families in alignment um, to some of those uh, research questions that I asked. And bottom line, the most stated answer was the lack of core education. Were any of your preconceived suspicions or initial predictions for better or for worse, confirmed, or did your findings exceed your initial expectations in any way? Well, primarily that there is an opportunity for improvement. <laughs> so that, I'm, I'm that, glad to hear that. <laughs> yes, so that definitely uh, played out exactly as uh, you know I, I thought, and um, the definitely there the the main answer to my fourth question, which was, again, where there's further opportunities, was that there's opportunities to further integrate into mainstream society, which was exactly what I was working on, again, in as I mentioned in my uh, master's program. And it, it, it is so important that we don't need to not teach any of the, you know, halacha and, and, and the Judaic studies at all. But providing again that core education, and and you don't need to compromise anything. But bottom line, we need to position people, and this is what um, this is what everybody essentially that I spoke with said is that we need to make sure there are certain we call it STEM uh, certain STEM skills that need to be implemented 
in all schools across the board. And yes, is there a, going to be a difference between a school in Borough Park and a school in Louisville, Kentucky? 100%, and there should be. Bottom line, should the quality of education be any different from place to place? No. Are there any plans for you to do any additional surveying or research, maybe of a larger sample size of Old Orthodox and Hasidic Yeshiva graduates or anything else like that? Oh, the work is not done. Uh, the work is definitely not done. I will continue. Um, and there are many sort of underlying factors as well as as secondary um, consequences to some of these areas. One of the things that I did not talk about in my research was even in dietary, in in health and wellness and things like that. So I could spend so much more time in some of those areas. But um, there definitely were a lot of themes and there's definitely, uh, I certainly came away from all of this research um, with a thirst and a hunger to learn more, but to do more as well, very importantly. What in your mind are some of the practices in Haredi education that could improve and help bolster skill sets needed for the job market for their graduates? Certainly, I think that there needs to be a complete uh, overhaul of the leadership of schools um, to, and that you know, everything starts from the top of being able to, um, being able to how the recruiting is done. But then in areas that educators are weak, bringing in outsiders to teach in some of these areas, bringing in role models, people that, that practice business ethically. And I'm saying that for a reason. Again, I think that some of the examples that we see in some of these communities are the wrong examples of what success means. And bringing, bringing, um, bringing folks that can uh, show what it means to be in business and that it doesn't need to be about the same few industries of nursing homes that's big in Chicago um, and in finding people that have built a business you know from scratch and 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 you know talking about those experiences of of what it means to actually you know hire your first person and what it means why why do people go through you know through school and learn accounting and finance and and providing those real examples and again some of which I did um, in earlier research and that's that's super important so uh, definitely you know leadership of schools uh, quality of educators bringing in role models examples extracurricular activities providing opportunities and encouraging um, continued uh, education um, that you know, in areas that, you know, no two students are alike, um, then they, you know, for some, the trades might be the right area, but for some, you know, going on to a four-year, you know, university, and I know that you've, uh, you know, spotlighted many on the podcast of people that have gone on. I, I listened a couple of weeks ago, Harvard, uh, which is fantastic. So, so many good examples over there, but um, yeah, it's just so critical. And, and where I see it, uh, a challenge, I see the opportunity. Well, thank you. I I think you've brought up some really important points and I completely agree with what you've said. I find that a lot of times when we have these conversations about the need for secular education in Hasidic and ultra-Orthodox yeshivas, the response is often, well, what about this person? What about this person who's a, you know, a mancher doing this? Or, you know, that was in spite of, you know, or despite what they, you know, the education they received. And it's it's not... It doesn't mean that everyone is going to be able to do that. And it also isn't, you know, it shouldn't be setting a precedent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with every word of that. And it's, 
a hundred percent that um, there are there are some great examples. Again, that's the definition of entrepreneurship. Um, unequivocally, there is no replacement for hard work. Um, but part of the hard work, in my mind, is um, I, I again, you're talking to a guy that 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 you know I'm very proud to have finished you know a, a terminal degree, um, but we need to have a mentality of constantly be willing to work hard and constantly be willing to grow, learn and grow. And, uh, you can never stop. It's not that, you know, that, that you, you, you went through that school and now you, because you studied Talmud, you know, X, Y, Z bottom line, everybody should be, uh, endeavoring to, you know, to, to learn and, and grow. And, uh, I see examples of of entrepreneurial success of people that certainly did not get a college degree, or people that have um, sort of beaten the odds um, in the community, and those are those are fantastic. But like you said, as long as it's done ethical, that's great. But I will say that is the exception to the rule. That is the exception to the rule. The reality is that education opens doors. Education opens doors, and uh, and you will provide a guarantee of future success for you, your family, those around you. Even if you are the, the, the best business person on earth and you've made a ton of money um, just through hard work and, and perseverance, that's great. But what about for somebody else? What about for somebody else and showing, you know, learning something new that can help them um, and, and that will allow you to you know, as we say, pay it forward and, and give back. And maybe you will be the next person to come into the school and be able to educate. But like I said, it's there's a difference between we need to, especially for educators, we need to prioritize that they need to be the smartest of the bunch. We need to make sure that they are better equipped than everybody else. And uh, and that's that's just mission critical. What is the central takeaway if you could just choose one or two, if one just choosing one is too hard? Um, that you would want either readers, future readers of your dissertation, as well as listeners to this podcast right now to really take to heart. Don't accept the status quo. Um, don't don't just say that things have been done this way and that is just how it's done. Um, at home, I talk about it all the time that the, my pet peeve is the word they. I hate it when people say they uh, they don't do it that way. You know, if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. And bottom line, just because you went through yeshiva and maybe now you're you're in your thirties, your forties, you still there's still an opportunity to to you know learn and grow and 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 be be the change. Roll up your sleeves, make it better for somebody else, mentor somebody else. There's no replacement for mentorship, but we need to embrace a a culture of learning and growing. And part of that is not just in the formal education sense, but also in the informal sense of a willingness to embrace the knowledge from others. I want to see, I want to see that change. I want to see schools not compromise in any way on the, you know, the priorities of of Jewish education, our education systems need to evolve to ensure that future leaders are best positioned for business success, for community success, for leadership success. And that is a responsibility of, of anybody that wants to call themselves a leader. One of the criteria for participation in your research study was uh, fluency in written and spoken English. So my question is naturally depending on how you define fluency, of course, 
that could potentially exclude a pretty major subset of Haredi Yeshiva graduates. That was something that I decided on relatively early on in the research process um, to that 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 would be a a criteria. Um, it did limit. There were some folks that um, that asked if if you know the interview could be conducted in Yiddish, which I I could have done. I chose for for reasons again of of research approval and in the interest of moving things along that that I would keep it uh, to English uh, English at least fluency um, to you know, to, to some degree and that that would be a requirement. But, uh, as you said, um, definitely there will be opportunities to expand this research, expand the, the research pool and, uh, and learn from others that, uh, and I think that th- those numbers probably will be quite fascinating to look at, uh, the opportunities or the limitations thereof, um, for those that are not, uh, fluent or comfortable, um, in, uh, in English written or oral. Thank you for answering it. That's very helpful. So Shalom, where is a good place for someone who's interested in learning more about your dissertation and connecting further? If you're you know, open to that, where would be a good place for them to go? Where will we be able to read this dissertation and follow along with you? Sure. Well, the uh, dissertation, again, the title is, you know, qualitative um, study of education, ultra-Orthodox Jews in the workforce, and it will be published very shortly um, and certainly will be up on my website, uh, which is also how people can get a hold of me, uh, which is shalomklein.com, S-H-A-L-O-M-K-L-E-I-N.com. Uh, you mentioned this earlier. I host a, uh, I host a podcast and a radio show and pretty, uh, pretty easily accessible. And I'm always open to learning more about uh, anybody's experiences. And, you know, as you could probably hear from my tone of voice. I'm very passionate on the on the topic and always happy to converse and learn. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I'm just thrilled to have been able to read your dissertation and to be, I wouldn't say involved in the process, but connected to you throughout your process and doing this. And it's just a tremendous piece of scholarship. And I think it's going to contribute so much to the larger and very necessary critical conversation that of course connects to our work at Yafed, but also connects to so much of what we've spoken about, about working to ensure that our all of our Jewish communities under the larger umbrella of our one Jewish community are as healthy, as vibrant, as successful as they can be. So I thank you for being here and I'm just so, so grateful to you for sharing your scholarship and your insights and your time. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me and and truly thank you and uh, to Yafed for all that you are doing. And you did play a major role because you are shining a spotlight on this very important issue. And I look forward to uh, to continuing to uh, partner together and, and follow all of your important work. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to share this episode with friends and colleagues. And please visit our channel for additional episodes. To submit a comment or if you would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email us at uneducated at yafed.org. Thank you.